And I know for the youth, you've been here, what, just yesterday, right? Isn't it been so good, just one day? Right, just one day. Now, some are, you know, when, when I look at the, the ground, and uh, we had a kind of a drought here on the Big Island, but there are areas that were hard soil, and then there are areas that were muddy, like the field, if you're out there. And sometimes, we're all like that. Now, it's not a matter of age, it's just a, where we are in life. And sometimes our heart is hardened, sometimes it's a hardened soil. And we just need a little bit of the Holy Spirit's gentle touch to quench our thirst and to soften our hearts. So for some of you, maybe for the campers, you've been here one day and you're just thinking, oh, okay, this is one day and I don't even want to be here. And my mom forced me to be here hoping that I would change. Well, if it happens, it happens. But all I know is this, that God is slowly peeling away layer by layer without you even knowing it. And you can do your very best to harden your heart, but God will always win. He will always win. And you might be fighting it and say, no, he's not going to win this heart. This heart is the hardest possible ever with the steel plate. I put some other things on it and I just pack it so that God can't even come in. So I'm going I'm to run from God and hide from God. Well, good luck on that one. I don't know where you're going to go because God is everywhere. But I do know this, that when you open your heart to the spirit of the living God, your eyes begin to open, dreams are released, and your potential begins to be realized. And if you start at an early age, imagine the possibilities of what life could look like. Some of us are here tonight, and we're part of New Hope Hila Hawaii, and we just want to say thank you for supporting Legacy and for your hearts for allowing these youth to be up here tonight. We thank you as a congregation. Such strong support. And we're actually going to pray over them tonight, not individually, but we'll get to that. Um, But before we do, we have a wonderful, wonderful camp speaker. And you guys have already heard him, especially our congregation. He was the first speaker at our first camp. It was called Solid Grounds, right? How many of you were here for Solid Ground? You were here. This is, this is the veterans right now, so you guys better behave. You guys should show the ropes to everybody else. But Pastor Brandon Ahu was the first speaker, and we were so delighted when he came. And we are even more privileged to have him here. He is a good friend of mine. He, he is a pastor out in, on Oahu at a New Hope Metro. And so we want to welcome, and could you do this with me, with New Hope Hilo Hawaii's welcome that we normally do. Let's welcome up to the stage, Pastor Brendan Ahu. Thank you, Maya. Good evening, everyone. So glad to see you here tonight. Actually, what's up, everybody? Hey. If this is your home church, if New Hope Hilo is your home church, make some noise. Thank you for being gracious hosts and opening up your church home to us. I promise we won't destroy it that bad. And if you have any problems, please build Hawaii Foursquare District. And if you're a legacy camper visiting from not Big Island, from other islands, and you're here as a visitor, make some noise and thank our folks over here. 
We have an exciting night tonight. Take out your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5, also Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're not going to get there till later, so I'm giving you advance notice. Put your thumb in there. There is no reason you shouldn't have a Bible tonight. I saw a bunch of free ones in the back over there. If you got a phone, if you got a smartphone, if you got a dumb phone, if you got a dumb phone that acts like a smartphone or vice versa, you should have a Bible on you, man. The Word of God is power. Can I get an amen? amen. The Word of God changed my life, will change your life, has changed my heart, continues to change my heart. We're going to jump into that tonight as we talk about something that is hitting us in all different places. Whether you are young, whether you are old, whatever it might be, the Word of God hits us in all different kinds of places. i got to let you know, if you didn't join us today for our camp, we played some crazy games this afternoon. Crazy games. Crazy. We played this one game where you have an egg on your head with a stocking and you smash it, or someone smashes it, and the yolk runs down over here. You know, if the yolk runs on this side of your face, the yolk got to run down on this side of your face, you can be equally yoked, yeah? So then, got the eggshells on the ground. It was crazy. It was humid. It was sticky. It was gross. It was uncomfortable. And I know, for all you crazy high school kids that are playing the game, the thing you wanted to do right after the game was go shower, yeah? Yeah? Just want to just give me the shampoo, some of you full-on shampoo. I saw someone doing her eyelashes. It was, it was ridiculous. But you know what? We don't like being uncomfortable, do we? No one likes being uncomfortable. No one likes awkward situations. No one likes when it's super hot. You might be uncomfortable right now. You might be saying, oh, usually Wednesday night, I got at least two, like, elbow space around me. Now I got someone sitting next to me, and he never used deodorant, and I can tell. Oh, uncomfortable. No one likes being uncomfortable. No one likes unbearably hot summers. You know those summers, like the ones we're having now, when it's so hot, you can't even sleep under the ceiling fan? The, the, the kind where I think about, maybe I should go sleep in my car and leave the AC on, yeah? And you know what, in the daytime when you go to your car and it's so hot, you turn the AC on full blast because it's been baking in your car and your car's thermometer says 100 degrees or more, you know what I'm talking about? And then inside the car, you're like, come on, air, come on, air. And you blast the AC, and you roll down all the windows for the first five minutes so the AC can finally kick on. Is that kind of summer? When it's so uncomfortably hot, the sweat beads up on your forehead and runs down the side of your face, and that one really, really bad drop of sweat starts at the top of your neck and goes right down your back. <laughs> and you're like, Ugh. It's that kind of summer. Nobody likes being uncomfortable. No one likes being in awkward situations either. That's kind of uncomfortable, right? I'm going to call some of my friends to the stage. Uh, we have this, uh, this little sketch we're going to do for you about being awkward. So, you know, everybody knows awkward situations, right? Maybe you've been in one before. Maybe you've uh, experienced it with different people in your life. Awkward is kind of weird. So here's what I'm going to do. It's kind of the catchphrase nowadays, that's awkward. Uh, I'm going to have my friends show you a couple of sketches, like situations that you might have experienced before. And at the end, I'm going to say, well, that's, and you're going to say, awkward. Okay, so let's practice. Okay, let's practice. So we'll practice. Okay. So the skit happens, and I'll come in and say, well, that's awkward. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, let's get our first one to the stage. Let's welcome our friends. Give me, give, give me a round of applause. Welcome our friends to the stage. Okay, has this ever happened to you? What's up, Brett? Yeah. What's up, man? Let's go, bro. <laughs> well, that's awkward. Okay, off stage. Thanks. Next. <laughs> has this ever happened to you? Oh, it's not 
Hey, bro. What's up? Oh, oh nope. yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for real, man. Wait. Well, that's kind of... How about this? Has uh, this ever happened to you? Oh, totally. I love bowling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should totally do it again. Oh, next time, can you bring your really hot friend, Brett? Well, that's... Well, uh, that's kind of awkward, especially when someone's asking about your friend. This is our last one. Maybe this has happened to you somewhere along the line. Oh, see you guys on the Okay, bye. Well, that one was super awkward. Give a hand to our guys for showing us that. No one likes awkward situations. If you ever watch an episode of The Office, you're like, oh, awkward. No one likes it when your mom drops you off at school and goes, bye, honey. Oh, awkward. No one likes it when you're cruising in the mall and you're going into the store and there's your ex at the back of the store. Awkward. Super, super weird. No one likes when someone says, hey, I sent you a friend request last week. How come you didn't accept it? Awkward. You know those kind of situations where you're just like, get me out of here. No one likes being uncomfortable. You know what's funny? It's whether it's a really hot summer with sweat beating down your face, whether it's awkward situations that make you feel a little bit out of place. No one likes feeling uncomfortable, but check this out, check this out. I think there's things in our lives that make us feel uncomfortable, like awkward situations, and we get out of them because it makes sense. And that's okay in the minor things. It's okay to run from uncomfortable situations in the small things in life. Here's when it's not okay. It's not okay when we run from uncomfortable situations when it comes to the major things in our lives. When saying no to the good and yes to the bad because it's uncomfortable, that's not a good thing. And I think we all do that at different places in our lives. I think each of us in small areas actually say, because I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to walk away from the situation. Like, if I have a problem with somebody, rather than going up to them and trying to work out the problem, I just kind of keep it to myself or talk stink about them behind their back because going up to them would be really uncomfortable. Oh, I think everybody's kind of felt that some way before. Or like when it comes to issues of like asking for help, I need help, but you know what, stepping outside of my comfort zone and asking for help, oh, it's really uncomfortable. I don't even want to go there. It gets a little bit awkward. Here's where it gets worse. Tonight, I want to challenge us on the idea that sometimes God allows situations to be uncomfortable because he's trying to challenge and grow us in areas that we don't want to deal with. That sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives to challenge us to go deeper with him because there's more going on in here than we want to admit. And there's more that he's doing inside of us. There's more that he's doing with us that we can't even see sometimes. And we'd rather run from uncomfortable situations than allow ourselves to be challenged by God. We can't run from the things that he's trying to do in us. You can avoid awkward situations. You can avoid uncomfortable situations. But don't avoid the hand of God when he's working inside of your life. Friends, 
whether you're on the Big Island, Oahu, mainland, or around the world, now is the time for people who call Jesus Christ their Savior to not shy away from the things that God is doing inside of them. We'd much rather run to our holy huddles. We'd much rather run to our spiritual enclaves and our hideouts and our strongholds rather than engage with a world that says, tell me more about your God and I'll tell you why I don't believe in him. We now need to more than ever actually step into uncomfortable situations because that's what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into situations Jesus stepped in and said, yes, it's weird. Yes, it's awkward. Yes, you are the woman getting water at the well at noon. Who does that? Yes, you were caught in adultery. Yes, everybody knows that you're a thief and a liar, and yet I step in there because I am going to do something in the midst of discomfort. Did you know that in the middle of the times when you feel uncomfortable, God is at work? Did you know that in the times when your heart goes, ugh, I didn't want to hear that? Did you know in the times when you're reading scripture and the thing goes boom and it pokes you right in your heart because the word of God is so living and active and so sharp that it divides between flesh and spirit and soul and spirit and says here's what's really going on inside of you. Did you know that God works in the middle of discomfort? Did you know that God cares more about you than you being comfortable? Did you know that when you said yes to Jesus, you didn't get a permanent hall pass to sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day? That when you said yes to Jesus, you enlisted in the Lord's army because you were saved by the king of kings to work for him in a world that needs to hear more about him, not you kicking your feet up with a frappuccino. God works in the middle of discomfort. The hard part is, is that I fall into this and you fall into this. That when I'm not happy and when God doesn't fit into my world... Bye, Felicia. <laughs> that when God gets in the way of what I want, I feel a little bit of guilt. <laughs> guilt. I feel a little bit of it. But I feel a lot more fun doing what I know I shouldn't be doing with people that I shouldn't be doing it with. So when it comes to what I want versus what God wants, awkward. Bye. Friends, when it comes to the things that God asks us to do, when he puts us in situations, especially with the people that are loved ones, it's even worse with family sometimes when it's awkward. When God says, I want you to be a peacemaker. When God says, I want you to do things that are uncomfortable for you. When following God becomes inconvenient or uncomfortable, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I dwelling in the kingdom of comfort or in the kingdom of God? Am I dwelling in the kingdom of comfort where I am king, where I call the shots and I hold the scepter, where I say what goes, when I say off with his head that that's what happens in my life, when I say I'm cutting you out of my life because of what you did to me, you're out of here because I'm the king of this castle. Is it the kingdom of comfort or the kingdom of God? Kind of tough, yeah? Because I'd much rather sit on the throne than let him be my king. It's the challenge that we're facing. It's a challenge that we all face. Last night, just to catch you up if you weren't here last night, uh, we kicked off legacy by comparing a feel-good faith versus a real faith. And we said a feel-good faith is kind of this fake, false faith. A feel-good faith is kind of like an ankle-deep kiddie pool. 
It's like, yay, I'm getting wet, but you're not really swimming in the depths of God's love for you. That a feel-good faith is like microwave fries versus real fries. It's fries, but the bugger tastes like cardboard, huh? No matter how much ketchup you put on the one on the left, it's not going to taste like hot pipe and McDonald's fries fresh from the fire with a little bit of salt. Thank you. We said a feel-good faith is, is kind of like, like microwave pizza versus real pizza. We said a feel-good faith is kind of a fake, phony kind of faith. And we compared a feel-good faith to a real faith by saying these things about it. A feel-good faith says do good, feel good, and you have God on demand. That's a feel-good faith. That's all you need to do. God wants you to do good things. Be nice to everybody. Just be nice. That God says, I want you to feel good. You know, if if it's uncomfortable, just walk away from it. Because the goal of life is to be happy. That's a feel-good faith. It's fake. And that God is on demand. The opposite of that is a real faith that is rooted and established in amazing love. A real faith that, as Ephesians said to us last night, is rooted and established in amazing love is the only way that we're going to live in a world when we just want to resort to feel, I mean, sorry, to feel good kiddie pool faith. A real faith takes us deeper. A real faith says, don't just do good and be nice. I want you to love like Jesus. I want you to love when it hurts. I want you to love sacrificially. Don't just be nice and worship at the altar of people's approval of you. I want you to do good, but I also want you to love like Jesus. A real faith says, don't just feel good, as if God just wants you to feel good about yourself and happiness is the goal. No, 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 the goal of life instead of happiness is actually to glorify God and to glorify him as you walk through uncomfortable situations, to trust him even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, to trust him in the middle of your hurt. That's what a real faith says, is to trust like Jesus. And finally, a real faith tells us instead of having God on demand, God is actively a part of every part of your life. That he's not just there on Sunday. He's there every other part. He's there with you when you're with your friends and when you party and with your family. He's there in the office in your cubicle when no one else is there with you. God is there with you. A real faith says God is with you in every part. So here's the question. In a world where I run from uncomfortable situations, how do I learn to not just feel good? How do I learn to trust like Jesus? How do I learn to trust like Jesus trusted, knowing that it's not about just feeling good? How do I learn to trust like Jesus did? Well, I think it's reminding ourselves that Jesus trusted even when it hurt. That Jesus trusted the Father even when it was uncomfortable for him. Even when everyone abandoned him, Jesus trusted the Father. Here's why. Because God cares more about your character than your comfort. God cares more about your character, of what he's doing inside of you, than just you being comfortable. That God cares more about your character, what he's developing inside of you, the person that he is actually making you to be, than just you being comfortable. Take a look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 3 and 4. 3, 4, and 5. 3, 4, and 5. Romans chapter 5. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 3. He says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, 
I want you to read this again with me because I think it's so important for us to punch through these words. What we're seeing is cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. One leads to the other, which leads to the other, which leads to the other. I want you to follow this pattern down because we're going to end at something that we all need when it comes to developing real faith. Let's take a look. Let's go back again one more time. Verse 3. Okay. So I'll read and then I'm going to have you come in at a certain point. Okay. Ready? So 5.3 one more time. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces. Can I you read with me? Ready? Go. Perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's pretty good. Let's do that again. Okay. Not only so, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Did you know that when you suffer, you develop perseverance? That when you suffer, something grows inside of you that doesn't grow anywhere else in the world and through any other situations. That, yeah, I want to live on easy street. Yeah, I want things to come my way. Yeah, I want things to be sweet and simple. I just, you know what? I want a car that I never need to wash because it's easy. I want a living room I never need to vacuum because it's easy. I got these two little Shih Tzu dogs. That's not a bad word. It's the name of my dog. And you can actually, they're all these hairy, hairy dogs. And I got to wash them like once a week and I don't because I'm a guy and I'm lazy. So I wash them once a month and they smell so bad. And people go over and go, your dog smell. I mean, I get out of my house. So, I mean, I want dogs that I don't need to wash because it's easy. I want to take it easy. I just want to surf all day. I want to eat food. I want to eat big steaks with fries and not get fat. I want to just take it easy. I wish life were easy, but it's not. And maybe you know somebody in your life, a cousin, a relative, a somebody of a somebody that knows somebody who knows somebody who works in, I don't know, the entertainment industry or bartends, and they get easy money, and it comes really fast. You're like, you made how much in one night? (gasps) I'm doing the wrong job. And that's what every pastor says anyway. So it's like, I just want it easy. But life ain't easy. And the rappers may have said it about pimping, but life ain't easy. That's even more true. You know why? Because in life you'll have a lot of great times. But everyone in this room is old enough to know that in life you have some really, really low parts of your life. That you'll have parts of your life that are so dark that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face because hope is so far away and you have no idea how you ended up here. And it's like those nights when you sit in bed and you wonder to yourself, could I ever fall asleep because you've worried about this for so long? It's like those nights when you say, how did my life even get here? That when I was 13, I didn't think my life would look like this. In my 20s, if I could have wrote the script, this wouldn't be my life at 35. That at one point you said, when we stood at that altar, I never thought it would be like this. When, that, when she was born, we never thought we'd be worrying about these issues with her. You never thought when you were working all those years that in the end the fun wasn't enough to keep you for the next few years. You had to get some job that you don't even like right now just to make ends meet. And you said, if I could write the script, I wouldn't have made it like this. Because we know that life isn't easy. I wish that when you said yes to Jesus, all of your problems blew away. And that magic pixie dust made everything right. But we know that ain't true. Because if the Son of God would suffer, so will we. How do you trust like Jesus? You trust like Jesus when life is so hard. And you wonder, 
How will I ever make it out of this? It's all about you. You're the only thing I've got. You're my only safety net. You're my only life preserver in the middle of this ocean. All I've got is you. And that's why we read, not only soul, but we rejoice in our suffering. Because suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Everybody say hope with me. Hope just in the name of a good church that we have here in Hawaii. Hope goes beyond that. Hope is what you and I need. Because the Bible continues in verse 5. Take a look at what it says about hope. It says that this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured into your heart. Friends, remember what we said about like two minutes ago? The only way you're going to get real faith is if you know the love of God for you. That's the only way you're really going to get real faith is if you know the depth of God's love for you. And hope helps us to see that. Hope is what I needed. On December 7th of 2012, when my dad said, hey, you got to come to the ER. I said, what? My dad's a healthy guy. Get into an accident? What happened? And as I showed up into that room with a big glass wall in front of it and a sliding door, I walked into everyone wearing masks, protective face masks, and I thought, whoa, what is going on? My dad was a pastor who gave up a career in the legal field to step into something that he wanted to serve God with his life. So if anyone didn't deserve for bad stuff to happen to them, it was someone who gave up their life for Jesus. And when the doctor said, you've got leukemia, we didn't know what that meant. But our entire world was going to flip upside down. He had just planted a church, New Hope Metro. We were less than a year old. And in that time, in the beginning of December, my dad looked at me and said, I've got to be quarantined. I can't leave the hospital for more than 30 days. Can you take the church? And I thought to myself, Heck no. I was 33, 32, 33. After your 30s, it's all a blur, yeah? I was in my 30s. I was just the young adults pastor of a New Hope Leeward. Came over to help him for two months, and then this happens? Heck no. I remember sucking it up and saying, I got it. We'll be okay. Hope is what we needed as a church when everything turned upside down. Because in the middle of great suffering, you can either choose to bail or you can choose to boil. You can either choose to bail out or boil up. Water is good, but when you boil water, you can cook good food. If you, cook, if you boil water and it's not boiling yet and it's hot but it's not boiling, your food will be heh, 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 heh. But boiling water, that'll make a difference. You can choose to bail or to boil. It's your choice. Suffering is coming. Suffering is here for some of you. You came tonight and you said, I don't even want to go to church. But you're here tonight to hear this, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And that's what you need when you leave here tonight. And hope doesn't come from me, and not from the person next to you, not from your spouse or your parents or your pastors. Hope comes from one place, and that's the love of God. And that's knowing that the love of God is going to see me through every situation because God is more concerned about my character than my comfort. Why? Why? does God care more about my character than my comfort? 
Why would he care about that? Well, the answer is found in Philippians 2, I believe. Can we turn with me there? Actually, we're in uh, Ephesians 2, I think. Let me check. It's pretty bad when the pastor doesn't know the Bible, yeah? <laughs> Ephesians 2, my bad. I know, so sad. You got to turn the pages, yeah? Suck it up. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse 10. Why does God care about my character? Why does he care more about character than comfort? Here's why. Philippians 2, verse 10. Let's read this out nice and loud. Somewhere in the Bible, verse, chapter 2, verse 10. I'm sweating buckets up here trying to deliver the word. Suck it up. It's Ephesians. I got the slide wrong. My bad. Talk to me after. Send me a bad email. Okay. Okay. Let's read it nice and loud. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ready? Go. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You may have heard this before, but you need to hear it tonight. That you are God's masterpiece. That you, just as you are, are God's masterpiece. And no, you don't look like the girl on the cover of the magazine. And no, you may not be as ripped as that guy at the gym that's lifting more than you could ever imagine. And maybe you don't drive the car that the guy on the street drives. And maybe you don't wear the clothes that they wear and say the things that they say. And no, maybe your life isn't like those people on Instagram who are doing super cool things with all these people and eating awesome food in places you wish you could go to. Heck, maybe your life isn't what you wanted it to be. Maybe people who are close to you are telling you things that are contrary to the value that God has placed deep inside of you. But you got to hear this. No matter how bust up your life is, no matter how bust up you think your life is, No matter how broken your home is, no matter how broken your heart is, please know that God sees you beyond what you see. That God sees you beyond what you see. I mean, we see it right up here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means God knows your future before you do. Don't you know that he sees more in you than you see right now? That when you wake up in the mirror and you wish you were more-er of whatever-er is... When you look and you say, and you look through old pictures and say, oh, I wish I used to look like or be with, or did you know that God sees beyond that? That the world writes you off as a has-been, and God says, oh, no, 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 you are already are. Did you know that God sees so much immense value in you that you couldn't put a dollar figure to it? Because it's something that money can't buy, it's blood. Did you know that God sees so much value that he put blood for your name? That he gave a life. And you might have been in church for so long that hearing that doesn't mean anything to you. Well, then tell your heart to shut up and soften up. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you saying, you are worth so much more to me than you could ever imagine. And there's no amount of things that you could have done or stolen or said or felt, or hurt, that there's no amount of people that you could have slept with, and ran around with, and got drunk with, and woken up with, 
that could change the masterpiece that I see you as now. That you are God's masterpiece. Now, when you hear the word masterpiece, you might think of some of the classical works of art that we're kind of familiar with. One of them in the Louvre in Paris is the Mona Lisa. It's a a beautiful work of art that I think we've all seen. We also see things like Van Gogh's Starry Night. There's different things where we see just amazing works of art that have been done as the classics. People see it's a masterpiece. It's priceless. It's held in museums. And when I visited the Louvre, the glass is so thick that you could barely even see it. That when you see the Mona Lisa, it's not even this huge thing. It's this tiny picture. And everybody crowds up to see what it looks like. And when you see Van Gogh's pieces, beautiful painted canvases, they're amazing. One such sculpture, which is a masterpiece, is found in Florence in Italy, in a museum called the Academia. It's something famous that you've probably seen before, and it's a statue of Michelangelo's David. What's funny about Michelangelo's David is that he's wearing board shorts. (laughs) Because even though I think we're all mature adults here, some people kind of handle a little bit of, yeah, we'll move on. Okay, let's all look at it and laugh one time. Ready, set, go. Okay, and we're done. Okay, check yourself. You're mature. Okay, let's go. You know what's cool about the David? The story is told that Michelangelo was given a block of marble. And it was too thin and too long and odd-shaped that no one wanted it. And there were different veins and cracks running in the marble that all the other sculptors in the Renaissance period said, no, 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 I refuse it. I don't want it. And Michelangelo looked at this block of marble and said, I see something in there. And through hours of tireless work and planning and preparation, with a chisel and a hammer, he pounded away, and he sculpted one of the greatest sculptures in Renaissance history that today we call a masterpiece. People might see you as a block of marble. They might call you a blockhead. They might say, you don't even know your way around the block. They might say, you're from 94 block. Whatever it is, God sees you as a masterpiece. But you know, when you visit the academia, something's pretty cool about this museum. It's not a big museum. You can get lost in the Louvre. You can do the academia in an hour. But this is the cool part. Check this out. When you walk down the hallway leading up to the David, you see it as the centerpiece, the focal point of this small museum. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. We we were over it, remember? Okay. Let's go anti-Peter Pan and grow up, okay? All right, all right, all right. Back to serious mode and scene. When you walk down the hallway of the academia, you see the David as the focal point down the hall. But you know what you see as you pass by? You see these sculptures on both sides of the hallway. And these are called the prisoners. They're unfinished sculptures that Michelangelo did. That as you work through them, he saw what was going on there. He saw things in there that no one else saw. What was interesting is that he never finished it. That either he got busy or he got bored or he had to move on. But at some point, the hammer and the chisel stopped. So there lay the prisoners, stuck in the marble. Movement suspended. Potential never fulfilled. The beauty of a masterpiece never done. Could you imagine the millions, the billions, how much these things are worth if they were completed? But they weren't. 
And I think for some of us, because we're uncomfortable with things God is doing in us, we do the same exact thing. Is that we run from when God is trying to work on our hearts. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's something so simple. A rock and a chisel. A hammer. And with something as silly as this sculpture here, you wonder, how could something like this come out of something like this? How could a small little sculpture like this come out of a rock so odd-shaped like this? Who would ever want this rock? What would happen in here? What could you see here? Maybe a doorstop. I don't know. When God looks at you, he sees what other people don't see. He sees something that is beyond description. So what he does is he takes instruments of destruction that are used for construction. God takes a hammer and a chisel and he walks us through seasons that are uncomfortable. He walks us through times when we question his very existence, let alone his love. He takes us into depths and valleys of despair and he says to us, as I work on you, Allow my chisel to shape away different parts of who you are. That you know that part of your heart that twinges a little bit when that person comes into the room? God says, let me take that out of you. Because I'm more concerned about your character than your comfort. You know that part of your heart when you get angry so quickly when people say those things to you about that? God says, let me me work on that. You know, notice God doesn't say, what's the matter with you? Why are you getting angry? Don't be like that. No, no, no. God says, come to me. Bring me your heart. Let me work on that. Let me allow the power of my Holy Spirit enveloped with the love that I have for you. Let me show you the masterpiece that I've made you to be. Let me show you that in the middle of all your suffering, in the middle of all your hurt, that I'm not done with you yet. That whether you just started walking with me or it's been decades, whether it's your faith or the faith that you're trying to pass on to the people that are under you in generations, God says to you, come to me. Because I'm more concerned about who you're becoming, the character of what I've made you to be, than just you looking and feeling good. How do you develop real faith? By remembering that God loves you, even in the process of the chiseling. For some of you, God is chiseling you right now. He's putting his finger, his Holy Spirit is telling you, I need you to stop going out to those places with those people and doing those things. That on Friday night, rather than going out and drinking with the guys, I need you to, I need you to invest into your family. Because if you don't invest into your family, someone else will and you're going to lose them. For some, for some of you, God is telling you, look, no one else sees you doing that. No one else knows what you're doing. It's behind closed doors. And because it's secretive, you could hide it forever. But I know. And I want to work that out of you because you're a masterpiece. And if you run because you're uncomfortable, you'll be stuck as a prisoner forever. But freedom is found in Jesus Christ when we surrender to him and say, 
Jesus, would you chisel out whatever you want in my life? So here's our final point for the evening. We're going to close with this. When it comes to God shaping and chiseling us, there's no escaping from his shaping. There's no escaping from his shaping. Say that with me out loud. There's no escaping from his shaping. One more time. There's no escaping from his shaping. You know what's funny is the older you get, the more you realize this is true. Right? For the 30 and older crowd, right? Yeah? And don't you want to tell these high schoolers right now, Bombay, you learn? Yeah? So let's do that right now. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Bombay, you learn. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah? Yeah? And high schoolers, don't you just want to say, you don't know me. You don't know my life. We're in love. You don't know my life. You don't know the way that he talks to me. We've got a song. We're in love. Come on, come on. Look, you know what's funny about the, you know what's funny about the generation gap? The funny part is, is the older you get, the more you realize that God was working on my heart. How many years ago? And I ran from it, only to see the same problem come back around the loop. And I ran from it, only to see the same problem. And I'm like, come on, man. And he's like, I've always been here. And I'm going to keep working on you and 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 working on you because I love you. Because you're my masterpiece. As if the Holy Spirit would say to you, the minute I put the hammer down is when I stop loving you. And that's never gonna happen. So, your choice. You can run from the shaping. You can run from the chisel. You can bail because you're like, this sucks, this is uncomfortable, I don't like it, it's awkward. I don't like when I read the scriptures and it tells me that I shouldn't be doing these things. If I, if I listen, I got to give up a lot. If I listen, you don't know what I'm giving up. I'm going to have to pay more. I'm going to have to do more. I'm going to have to stop having fun. You don't even know what's going to happen. You don't know what I lose if I follow, if I listen. You don't know what I lose. And Jesus said, you don't know what I lost when I bled and hung for you. You don't know what I gave up to redeem you. There's no escaping from the shaping. How do you trust like Jesus? You remember that your heavenly father loves you so much that he continues to shape your heart. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want. So, let's become who he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's finish up. Bow your heads with me, please. Jesus, we thank you this evening. We thank you for the grace that you give us to hear your word. God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear it in our ears, but you would open our hearts because, Holy Spirit, only you can do that. So right now, there's some of us here right now that want more of God, that, that we want to actually feel again, that we've been numb for so long. We've heard so much religious stuff that we're like, ah, I don't even know if God even works anymore. If that's you right now, I want you to say this between you and God. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my heart. Open my heart that I might hear you clearer. God, would you honor that prayer, please? Would you, just, would you just deposit your love right now? 
God, would you speak to the woman who came here tonight feeling unloved? And would you remind her that you've enveloped her, you've, you've wrapped your cloak around her, that you're her protector and her guardian? God, would you speak to the man who came here tonight who felt less than the people that he's around, who felt like a failure because of what had happened just this week? And would you tell him right now that he is not a failure, and that no one is a failure at the foot of the cross? And would you speak value into those of us here tonight that are feeling worthless? Would you speak value into those of us that see other people as all-stars and ourselves as the throwaways, as the ignored, as the bench warmers, as the people who couldn't even make it on the team, as the last picked, would you just speak value into us? And would you remind us that you look past the appearance and you see our heart? So Lord, right now, we give you our hearts. And we pray tonight that we wouldn't run that we wouldn't run from you anymore. That we would come to you and allow you to shape us and to chisel us. And right now, we just surrender ourselves to you. Tonight, tonight, if you want to say to the Lord, God, I'm tired of running. I am willing to allow you to work on me again. If that's you and you recognize you need the hammer and chisel of the Lord to shape you and you're willing to trust like Jesus trusted would you stand right now standing, I want to tell you it's not going to be easy. But I want to tell you it's going to be worth it. That you're not stepping into something simple. But it's something of such great value that people have given up their lives for what you're about to receive. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that for those of us who are willing to stand, that we are saying, Lord, work on me. My heart is yours. We choose to trust you. We choose to love you and give you all that we have. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. amen. Would the rest of you stand with me? Let's thank our Lord. Yeah, my mic wasn't working. Awkward. Can we just say thank you to Pastor Brandon Ahu for sharing God's word with us tonight? Aren't you glad that we're here tonight? We can close with this song. So we're just going to close with this one final song, just a chorus. But uh, it just lets us know that it's time to live. We're different now because of who Christ is. We're different because of what was shared tonight. Let's not just make this another church service. Let's make this a life-defining moment. That now we're living, living differently for the king above all, the one who gave his life for us. Wasn't that so profound that, yeah, look at what we're giving up. Look at what we're losing. But Christ lost everything to gain you. 
He stepped out of heaven, a perfect place, to this imperfect place to love with a perfect love, imperfect people. And that's how much we mean to him. Can we thank him one more time as we close with our final song tonight? <laughs>